Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast, presented by Tennis Express. We deliver tennis worldwide, right to your front door. And now here's your host for this podcast, Sarah Unke. Welcome to Tennis.com's podcast. This is Sarah Unke, here along with Peter Bodo and Tom Parada, who are both getting back from Wimbledon. Welcome back, guys. Thank you. Ed McGrogan is lost somewhere in Ireland, folks. Oh, we forgot Ed. Oh, no. Oh, well. (laughs) Well, let's talk a little bit about it. Um, As you saw on Sports Illustrated's cover, uh, Serena Williams has been pronounced the best ever. Does her Wimbledon title, does it prove that? Well, I think that's a, I think it's a valid thesis at this point. Look, it's very hard to say best ever. What do you judge that on? You judge that on number of Grand Slam titles. Well, you know, then it's an open and shut case. You you can't say anything. On the other hand, the conditions from generation to generation can change drastically. Margaret Court, on rec, you know, theoretically is the best of of all time in terms of Grand Slam titles. She's bagged, but so many of them were won in Australia at a time when not all the great players played there. In fact, you know, the record also, you know, the Australian Open until recently, until it moved to Flinders Park and may, had the big makeover and changed dates to early February, that was a tournament that a lot of players didn't play. And this goes for the men as well as the women. You know, for a long time, we lived basically in a three-slam world. So, you know, these numbers, so you can't really go by the major titles. On the other hand, you know, you, you can't go by saying, well, gee, you know, you know, she's, you know, she'd beat anybody the way she hit the ball. My personal feeling is that, you know, basically she's better. She hits the ball better than any woman I've ever seen in terms of, not so much maybe in terms of how grooved her strokes are, but in terms of winning tennis match. She's got a serve that's a, clearly the best serve ever in women's tennis. Got a big return. She hits for the winners. She's got a great competitive temperament. It's hard to It's hard to see anybody beating her on a given day. I think it's a matter of what does best mean as Pete's saying is it most accomplished because she's not the most accomplished tennis player in history is she a better better at playing tennis than anyone else in the women's game uh, yeah I think that's a fair argument though I would say a couple of years ago Justine beat her at a couple of slams including at the US Open on her way to winning in there and Serena was good then and playing well and that was a pretty impressive performance so I mean I think people have beaten her when she's been very good but that happens to everybody it happened to Graf it happened to Celis so I don't know that you really count that against her I've never seen a player bring as much to a court in the women's game as she does in terms of having all the weapons and not really having any weaknesses and she's incredibly competitive well, I've always been in the graph camp. I mean, you know, uh, for the, each of the majors four times plus, you know, the Golden Slam, a Grand Slam, plus an Olympic gold. Look, those numbers are impossible to beat. Serena will never beat those numbers, you know, unless she plays until she's 45 and plays better than Martina did when she was at a comparable age. So, you know, to me, graph is still really remains the gold standard. But uh, on a given day, I must say, you know, I've seen plenty of graphs matches. She's young enough or I'm old enough, however you look at it. And uh, I think what Serena has on, on her best day, you know, because she can hit stone-cold winners, and she can actually hit serves that prevent people from returning. The one thing that, you know, you have to say in that sort of lineup is that Steffi was able to return everybody's serve. You know, it was a rally game. It was who's going to win once the ball was in play. Serena, especially on, at least on fast surfaces, makes it so it's really not about the return. You know, if she can serve well enough, she can keep points from being played. Yeah, I, I, the graph camp is a good camp to be in. But the one thing about her, too, I think, in her era is someone came along who dominated her for a little while. And then, you know, the stabbing incident happened with Celis, and that wasn't the case anymore. But there was a little period where Graf really didn't know what to do with her. I've never seen that happen to Serena, where someone's come out and just had her number for a, a long period of time. She always figures you out, even if you beat her once. Serena's had a lot of other people's numbers, though, that's for sure. Uh, let's take a look at Nadal a little bit. 
Um, are we going to be having this kind of conversation about him sometime soon? He's at, he's at number eight after winning Wimbledon. He was looking great all weekend. I, mean, I think the one thing you have to say about him now, and all, for years we've talked about Federer being the most complete player in the game, and that's sort of been a given. Whether people have thought he's the greatest ever is always something that has been up for debate, but him being the most complete player has been a given. And I don't, you know what, I, I look at Nadal play now, and I don't know that you can really say that anymore. I think they might be equal. The guy volleys great. He moves, obviously we've known that, better than anyone his forehand's phenomenal. His backhand isn't a weakness at all. His slice is really good. Tactically, he's excellent. He you know, does a lot of little things that Federer can do. There's really nothing he can't do well. The only thing he can't do really, really well is stay healthy like Federer has always been able to do, and that's going to be what determines you know, how far he goes, I think. Well, of course, he's number one in the world, number eight. You know, Grand Slam title number eight is what he collected here at Wimbledon. You know, I, I think it's, it's funny. This, I see one big problem for Nadal, though, is that he doesn't, doesn't love hard-court tennis. And I think uh, when you consider that two of the majors were on hard courts, and he's really got one title at the two hard court majors. Among those eight titles, he's got only one of them was on a hard court in Australia. Now, you can say he's figured out Australia, but I'm not sure you can say that, frankly. He's just got one title there. It's not like the guy's you know, been in three finals or four finals, won two or three titles. So that's a very, very big if. And it's a kind of a tricky case with him because I have no doubt that he's got the game to win majors on a hard court. But it's a little bit tricky. You know, you may have the game, but if you don't really have the feeling, you know, if you don't love it. One of the interesting things I think at Wimbledon that we've learned, you know, with Nadal having been in four of the last five finals, and of course the one he missed was in last year when he was out with injury, is this guy truly loves Wimbledon. And, you know, I don't think we believe that the first couple of years of his career, even when he first couple of times he got to those finals against Federer. It was, he was still the Clay Gore guy who found a way to get to the Wimbledon final. Everyone was still, well, you know, I'm not sure he'll ever play. And, you know, a lot of people, Patrick McEnroe even said to me, he said, you know, you got to wonder if the guy's ever going to be in another you know, Wimbledon final because he's got, you know, he's, you know, he's got a great game for clay. He's got kind of a radical style. He did struggle, you know, at various times getting to those finals early on at Wimbledon. So there have always been some questions, but the guys love grass. That's been the key. I mean, I think the reason he's gotten to those finals is because he goes out there thinking, I love this. I enjoy running on this stuff. I got the game to win here. I just don't think he's ever felt that way on hard courts. They've always been sort of a problem to solve. He's done his due diligence. He's improved his game. He's incorporated some elements to make him successful but that gut feeling of i own this place i'm really comfortable i love this is not there yet don't you think that has to do with his health though i mean i think especially the u.s open he comes in and every year he's kind of beat up and i think that hurts his confidence whereas the australian open the year that he did win he was in tip-top shape and he knew it and you could tell that whole tournament he was out there to win and i thought i mean i was down there for that tournament and he looked amazing the whole way through and there really wasn't much doubt that he was gonna once he got to that final i thought he was gonna win that match well, it has to do with his health now, I think. But, I mean, I don't think it had to do with his health for a number of years. I mean, early on it was that, you know, everyone get the sense everybody got was that he overplayed. Combination of having played an awful lot and won an awful lot in the spring and summer and then really not being all that enamored. You know, he's never said he, he loves the U.S. Open the way he loves Wimbledon. He's never talked about it glowingly the way he does about Clay and Wimbledon. That's fine, you know. But I think that that's a little bit of an insight. And, you know, it's always tougher to play. Where, where, you're, where you're not really loving it. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think that's, that is his big challenge, and I think you're right now. I think these physical issues with his knees and stuff are really going to complicate it for him. How much, how much do I want to put into this? Do I want to risk my, you know, my career or my success on clay and hard and, and grass, rather, you know, just in order to win a couple of these titles? But the bottom line is Federer's got 16 majors. Rafa's got eight. Rafa's capable of catching him, but he's going to need to win some hardcore titles. 
looking at the final weekend this year, uh, was there a different feel at the All England Club from last year? Last year there were such classic matchups and classic finals, and, and this year they were over pretty quickly. What do you think? Well, it was kind of interesting, but you know, it was you know the first week in some ways was more interesting than the second week at Wimbledon, and you know, of course, you had the Isner Mahout match was the centerpiece of that. But I think, look, you know, uh, you know, everyone was hoping for another Nadal-Federer confrontation final, I think. They're thinking, wouldn't that be great to have? And so when Berdick puts out Federer, you know, that kind of changed the tone of things. The fact that you don't get the sense that Roger owned the place anymore, I think is also a little bit, you know, drove that feeling. It, it was no longer like, there's a champ Roger, you know, he, you know, can, can anybody possibly beat this guy? I mean, everybody knew, basically, <laughs> you're going into the tournament. A lot of guys can beat this guy. A lot of guys have beaten this guy. So, you know, I think that was, that was a little bit... Everyone's thinking that Federer and Nadal are basically head and shoulders above the rest of the field. So what you hope for is those, those two guys meeting in a final. If those two guys don't get to play the final against each other, then you've got a host of other people. And some of them are very, very good. You know, maybe Tom will address this. You know, but... You know, it's, it, there's going to be a little something missing because you look at this, those guys' records on grass and you look at everybody's and say, look, the guy's going to have to be a clear-cut favorite the way Nadal was, and he actually showed why. Yeah, the second week had a little bit of – well, only the late second week to me had a little bit of a fizzle. The first week was out of this world, just not even a realistic tennis tournament. I, it's still baffling to me that those guys played for three days, but in all day of those three days – but, but, you know, up to the quarterfinals when Federer was upset, I think still really exciting. The finals left, you know, were a little bit lacking. But, I mean, when you've had a tournament like that up to that point, not really too surprising to me. Um, I was hoping for a little more from Burdich. I thought he was going to give him a run there. But once you get down early against Nadal, it's a big problem. Uh, I think Wimbledon looks sort of silly for not seeding Nadal number one. They have their weird formula for the men that they, oh, well, your grass court. What do you think of that formula, P? I mean, grass court results in the last year. These guys play on grass twice a year. Why are you bothering with what they did 16 months ago and the fact that the guy has knee injuries, but he made the final three years in a row before that. You don't seed him number one when he's number one in the world. It's a very strange situation. Well, you're kind of, you know, it's a little bit like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, because basically you have the, even, you know, you don't have a formula. They did not have a formula a few years ago. The Spanish, not an evident one that they declared. The Spanish players basically threatened to go on strike. If you remember, there was a press conference, right. Alex Karech and a couple of other guys where, you know, because they, they were mad because the Spanish players had been bumped down in the seedings, you know, seemingly arbitrarily because because Wimbledon ref- retains a right to seed the way it sees fit. So fine. So Wimbledon then changes and, and makes its formula clear in an attempt to be transparent. But to just show for the men. Just for the they men. Don't have, they, don't have a, they don't have a formula for the women. Now let's just get, do let's whatever get Sarah they want. in on this, because I think Sarah's got <laughs> I mean, something think, to say I here. think the formula could have done a little bit more for Maria Sharapova and Justine Ennen. You know, this is something I never found out, by the way. Does that formula, do they actually have that formula kind of uh, in the chamber? For the women, I mean, I, I don't know if there was even any discussion with the women of using a formula. Maybe there is. I don't know. It was one of the things I wanted to find out, never got to, is that whether or not they also look at the women's seedings and use their formula. I mean, you got to believe that if they did, well, you know, maybe the Hennen, you know, Hennen would have been moved up. But on the other hand, you know, Hennen hasn't played on grass. Under the men's formula, Hennen wouldn't have been moved up because she, she hadn't would played. not have been. No, yeah. exactly. So right. she hadn't played. And but you know, over two, I think, because her result last year was bad, and otherwise she didn't play much. I think in general that formula does work, uh, you know, uh, and, and I kind of like the idea that the tournament, you know, retains a right to seed as, as, as it sees fit. I, I don't think, I don't intrinsically have a problem with that, but uh, it does raise some questions. All right, well, to wrap up Wimbledon 2010, do either of you have any favorite moments to share from the All England Club? Uh, maybe, I mean, you have to go with the 
with the Isner match, although maybe I liked watching Mahu play doubles right after the Isner match. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, which is, a, you know, a strange... I mean, th- the fact that the guy went out there and, you know, I talked with him afterwards, he was pretty pretty good. But from some of the, you know, talking to some of the French journalists, they said he was almost... They thought he was psychologically a mess, sort of in a weird state where he didn't know kind of what was going on after that match. And kind of sleepwalking through it. Sleepwalking through it, and they thought he was going to crash in a couple of days and really be depressed and... and weirded out but i mean who knows but there uh, you are french reporters and psychologists among <laughs> us right <laughs> i like that girl pierre and cover by the way you know i mean that was I, I think she brought a nice little fresh element you know she was kind of a surprise semi-finalist there and uh i really like her game on grass you know there'll be a lot of recreational players out there who watch that are going to be going out there doing that heavily chopped sliced kind of forehand which actually you know unless you're playing on a grass court there folks i'm not sure i try that on a hard court but on grass courts that kind of thing can work she was really, you know, it was sort of a breath of fresh air. She was modest and charming in her press conferences. She'd never played on grass until she played her first qualifying match for Wimbledon at Roehampton a couple of years ago. She had a horrible record at Wimbledon going into this one. She and for her to come match. out like that was, she had won a match, exactly. A one match, maybe. Yeah, a one match, I think. Maybe. And, you know, for her to come come out and go all the way to semifinals, take the first set from Vera Zvonareva, well, you know, that was, you know, that was kind of a nice moment. I thought Kvitova was pretty good. Too. I mean, maybe not as great in the press conference I'm talking, but it's nice to see you know a big left-hander in a women's game who can hit really hard and has some offense, some firepower. We haven't really seen a whole lot of firepower other than the Williams sisters in recent years. Sharapova's been injured. I mean, she obviously counts in that class, but... Yeah, you know, one other thing I think that was kind of interesting was, you know, Nadal probably fought his way through as tough a draw as you could have made up. Somebody could have actually given you the names, and once you put the seeded players in and said, okay, now fill in a draw that would make life really tough for Nadal... You couldn't have done more than what he got. So for him to, you know, cut and slice his way through. And the swing match for him was that soldering match. Uh, You know, I think, you know, it always, a lot of guys will tell you, a lot of champions will tell you, it always takes a little bit of luck. You know, it doesn't hurt to have luck on your side. And I think Nadal got a little bit lucky when Soderling had a pretty bad foot. He had, I think it was a blister issue and, and his movement was really impaired. So the big match, everyone had been looking forward to a Soderling Nadal match. And, you know, it never really materialized as a decent match because Nadal was playing reasonably well. Soderling was really impaired in his movement. So once Nadal got over that hump, it was all away. But, I mean, that was, you know, Soderling's, gonna, Soderling's here to stay. So is Berdick, I think. Things are going to be very interesting at the U.S. Open to surface those guys like better. All right, well, let's take a brief break and then come back and discuss Davis Cup. Shop Tennis Express for the best selection of top brands with expert service at fair prices. The Tennis Express team is available to help you find the right tennis gear. Shop Tennis Express and find out why their customers call them a candy store for tennis players. Call 1-800-833-6615 or log on to www.tennisexpress.com today. All right, looking ahead to Davis Cup this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, We've got a lot of... Depleted field or depleted teams, guys. What do you think? Well, Tom, uh, you know, to me, the best matchup out there is Serbia, Croatia. That's going to be really intense, and they're not at least as depleted as the other teams. Croatia is missing Ivo Kovacic, who's hurt. He had to miss Wimbledon, but otherwise, they're fielding a pretty good team with uh, Cilic and and Lubacic, and then Serbia obviously has Djokovic and Troiki and Tipsarovic. so it's going to be a close match, and I think Djokovic is a little bit down after that Wimbledon 
semifinal uh, beating he took where I think he was expecting a little more of himself and had finally been playing a little better but I think this will be big for him and it's going to be an interesting match the other the other countries I mean huge great countries but Spain you know Nadal's not there they obviously still have a good team anyway France is missing its couple top people because is hurt Russia has, has a depleted team I mean Gabashvili and Kurnitsin are on the team uh, you know, and then we have Chile in the Czech Republic, and the Czech Republic doesn't have Burdich or Stepanek, so that's a very weak version of their team. Which is a shame. It's a price that you pay for having a Wimbledon finalist because you know Burdich, you got to believe would have played in that match. And I, I given this given that the, you know uh, there's not, not much sign good. of Federer I mean, playing well, this year, and frankly, I doubt that Nadal's going to be doing a lot that, of Davis really Cup duty much. this year because yeah, what's the status of what's going on? It's a legitimate chance for Gonzalez is hurt. I sort of go through. I mean, have you have you heard anything lately? I'm not sure. He's not playing this. Yeah. I mean, I assume by the U.S. Open he'd be fine or the end of the summer season, but I haven't heard the latest. Right. Well, no, it's it, it's one of those years. Unfortunately, this is going to re you know this is going to refire the old Davis Cup format argument. Whether Davis Cup format ought to be changed or not, you know, uh, you know, do you play it all at one place or do you do you keep the basic structure you have now? There are some people working on some things out there that I think are, are kind of interesting. And, uh, and you're not really for changing it, right? Well, I don't want to. The, the one thing I don't want to lose is the home and away aspect of Davis Cup. I think that's very, very critical. But I think you can probably preserve that and have a better system. Um, you could even go, uh, it sounds like heresy, but you can even go with the uh, Fed Cup type format where you've got the weekend play and you've got the doubles closing to play. Uh, I'm not sure I'm, I would really be a big fan of that, nor that it solves any particular problems because I don't think a guy's going to think, well, you know, I'm not going to play if it's a three-day event, but I will play if it's a weekend event even if I have to play two matches. But uh, I think I think having something like a Final Four uh, hosted by the nation that's the holder and maybe even maybe even bringing back the challenge round you know you talk about back to the future the more things change the more they remain the same I think it's legitimate at this point in Davis Cup to ask whether we shouldn't have the challenge round again where the champion sits out that takes a, you know you could actually have buys in a first round so you could get it down to a three you can get it down to a three round competition in some ways and so, th- so there's, there's, you know, wiggle room in there, room to work. I think, yeah, I think those ideas are interesting. Some of the ideas that have been put out there as the sort of cut and dried, either keep it as it is or do this thing where everybody comes together in one place and has a big tournament. In theory, that sounds sort of interesting, and the players say they like that, or at least some of them do. But I think if you actually put that in place, they still wouldn't go if it came down to them having to be ready for a slam or the end of your Masters or a huge prize money event. And you'd still have the same problem where it would be a watered-down thing, but everybody would be watered down in one place. And well, the home-and-away stuff, I don't know that they ever will get rid of because I think people don't realize how much money this brings in to small host nations and places that get to, oh, my, my God, we're hosting Switzerland and Roger Federer is going to play. and Now we're going to sell t- all these tickets and we're going to bring in money for our tennis federation. I mean, this stuff is that, you know, small countries really hang on to that. It helps their programs. You know, in the United States, we don't care as much. And in Spain, they don't need that money as much either. But in other places, they do. And I think you're going to get a big fight trying to get rid of that. Yeah, it's critical to the lifeblood of those federations. I think, uh, you know, the other thing that they that, that's kind of interesting is they can look at zones again. You know, play, if you had zonal competitions. Look, this week, this is the toughest Davis Davis Cup week, basically, because, you know, you're coming out of the toughest part of the year, French, French and Wimbledon back-to-back. You know that the guys who do, who are doing well at those events, if especially if they do well at both, which has been a trend lately. These guys, you know, these guys who are really good today are getting to the semis 
quarters, and finals of the major events. So they're playing a lot of matches. Not like it's a one-trick pony. He's a clay court guy. Therefore, he's got pretty much two weeks off during Wimbledon, so he ought to be ready for Davis Cup. You know, uh, these guys now are, are you know, are, are going deep in, at both these tournaments. And I think to get them to bounce back and play this week is really, really pretty tough. Uh, you know, in terms of bringing everybody together for the Davis Cup for, for one big tournament, I mean, I think uh, I would look very long and hard at the Fed Cup model. They tried that in Germany, and it was not a huge success and, you know, never never got the traction. So, you know, uh, I, I think keep the home and away, maybe come up with some kind of a zonal thing where the players don't have to travel that far, where you could have, you know, you could have teams like, um, you know, in an Asian zone, you can have a North and South American, an American zone, North and South American, you can have a European zone. Uh, incorporating, say, Africa, too, if any nations there, you know, start to produce some, some good players. And you can have the Asian with the Chinese and the Australians and people like that. So there, there are plans out there. It's going to be very hard to get the ITF to move on it, though. Pete, quick word on Spain. What do you think they could, uh, even with this weekend team, they have Verdasco, Ferrer, Almagro, Feliciano, Lopez. No, they're still... I think they'll, they'll, they'll beat France, but they could win again and become maybe the, one of the more dominant... They look like a dynasty. If they no, this, oh, well, yeah, I think they became a dynasty when it, when they won again this last time. I think when they beat Argentina away, that was their kind of their tipping point match in terms of being a great legitimate Davis Cup dynasty. Now I think you know. Now it's in a sense it's all gravy, and and these guys certainly could do it. I mean, Verdasco, you know, really been having a pretty good year. He he started the year very well anyway. Ferrer second on the tour and wins, I think. Ferrer second on the tour and wins. So you know, those two guys, you know, a lot's going to depend, of course, on where they play. Because if they end up having to play, say the Czechs. Uh, on a, on, a, on a fast court, you know, that's going to be that, that's going to be tough. But, no, they've, they've got the talent to do it. All right. Thank you for joining us with Tennis.com's podcast. This is Sarah Unke along with Peter Bodo and Tom Perot. Hey, why don't you ask them for questions, if you have any questions. Oh, yeah, sure. If anyone has any questions, please send them in. We'll do it in our mailbag version of the podcast. Podcast at Tennis.com. You've been listening to the Tennis.com podcast, presented by Tennis Express, the tennis industry's retailer of the year. For more news and information, head over to Tennis.com. Thanks for listening.